Say that I go to a dog trainer's website and I see VSPDT. Yes. What does that mean to someone that's um, looking to employ a dog trainer? Okay, so with now that the academy's coming in, there's there's a lot of different things that as a brand we're offering. VSPDT is Victoria Stillwell Positively Dog Trainer. So those are people who are dog trainers already. So if you come across a trainer who has that, um, that VSPDT. What this means is that the person um, is going to be qualified, um, so they will have done some level of study um, and should only be offering services that they are qualified to offer. They will be properly insured. They will be um, using force-free, positive reinforcement, scientifically proven, ethically correct training methods with not just the dog but also the person um, and this person will have gone through quite a in-depth application um, and interview process to get that rubber stamp of approval from Victoria um, and the brand so when you get a VSPDT trainer that's what you are getting um, and what you can also be assured of is that these people are um, I kept track of afterwards. Um, so once you've got your, your stamp of approval, your seal of approval from Victoria, um, the brand keeps an eye on everybody, which sounds a bit big brother, doesn't it? And it's, it's not. But we do keep track of all of our members. We survey all of their customers to make sure that the customers are, are happy, that they got what they thought they were going to get that the trainers are still doing um, what they say they are going to do um, and if there are any problems that any problems will be followed upon so it's quite closely monitored okay so is it um, a thing where you have to continue to educate yourself or is it something that you get that information through the surveys as to whether people are happy it's both so um, it's quite a close close-knit community um, so we do monitor CPD as well as client surveys and also feedback from other trainers. You know yourself in the UK, everybody knows everybody. So we get feedback from other trainers, we get feedback from clients and we monitor CPD. And we're looking at continued study, reading, workshops, seminars, all of those things all come together. Okay, so you mentioned there's other aspects to this as well. Um, before we got started. Is it is it a thing where Victoria Stilwell is also offering edu education to trainers now? Yeah, this is this is the new um, the new big push for, for this year. Um, we've spent three years developing an academy which opened in the US in May with our first intake of twenty five students and demand has become quite apparent in the UK. So the Academy will be opening in the UK um, in autumn of this year and people can enrol on that now. But you don't have to have done the education through Victoria Stowell to get the VSBTD. So, sorry, I get so confused with these. <laughs> <laughs> VSBDT, that's right. No, um, the two things um, are, not, are not the same thing. Um, the students, the Victoria Stillwell Academy students, that's um, an educational course that at the end of you will be um, educated enough to start a career as a dog trainer. 
But the VSPDTs, the approved trainers, these are people who are qualified already and have at least two years of experience in the field. So it's a different thing. We're offering education and we're offering um, membership to an approval scheme. It's interesting that you said they need two years of experience in the field. Does that mean that if you're starting up as a dog trainer, you can't get that VSPD, VS, Victoria Stillwell Positive Dog Trainer badge until you've worked for two years? Um, we do take each case individually. Um, we recently took on a new member who I won't, I won't mention her name, bless her. Um, she'd done a little less than two years, but she was an outstanding applicant. Um, so exceptions will be made um, depending on the applicant. Sure, so it's really case by case. Yes, absolutely. Is this, is this something that's being rolled out? I mean, you said that it's in the UK. Is it also, it's also in the US, is that right? The Academy or the Approval? Uh, I meant the approval, the approval, but both would be interesting um, to hear about. <laughs> the approval is, um, that's um, around the world. So we've got many, many trainers um, who are part of the VSPDT scheme in America. And then I coordinate Europe. So we have UK. We've got trainers, three trainers in Italy. I have a trainer in Poland. I've got a lady from Switzerland who is applying. I've got a trainer in Greece. And Australia comes under my remit, and I have a trainer in Australia as well, who are all part of the, um, the approval scheme. Um, that sounds to me, it's a bit of a revolution then. Yeah, we're getting there. World domination. <laughs> as a dog trainer, when you're looking to be accredited, there's so many associations at this point, and so many you can go into. What sets Victoria Stillwell's association apart from the others? Um, I think the package that you get, I mean... <laughs> For me, it's quite small and intimate, so you're not going to get lost among many, many members, which was quite important to me when I joined the scheme. Um, but also the marketing that you gain is massive. Um, obviously, because Victoria is, has books published and has a TV presence, and with the new TV show as well, which was just incredible, um, the amount of marketing and publicity that our members get is huge. It really, really pushes your business. Um, and everything is, is done for you. It's made very easy. So once you're a member, there's a lovely introduction letter from Victoria that you can use to market yourself in your local area. Your website is included in the package. So I don't know if you've looked at the Positively websites, but they are awesome. Um, and that's all done for you. That's part of the package logos, clothing, business cards, flyers, is all professionally, all the marketing side of it is done for you, which is just excellent. And, you know, if you're a dog trainer, you're not necessarily a techie person. I know I'm not. So it, it takes care of that headache for you. Um, the online support from members, we have, you know, a global community. And the amount of online support you get from other members if you come across an issue you've not addressed before, there will be somebody who has addressed it. And the sharing of, of resources, knowledge, information, training is just second to none. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. Does it cost a lot of money to get involved with the programme? It's not a cheap one. Um, annual, the application fee initially is, I think it's something like $100, so that's about 80 pounds and then your annual membership fee is 500 dollars which is about 320 pounds it depends on the exchange rate 
That said, um, we haven't lost any members due to the size of the fee. Um, everyone makes over and above their their fee that they pay. And two of our members have actually opened their own training centres following joining. So it, and I've taken on, I now have five members of staff because wow. it, yeah, it grows massively. We're running now 18 classes a week as well as one-to-one. Oh, my God. <laughs> You really are taking over. So you've got trainers as well as, I've, I mean, yeah, I've, is it just trainers? I have or? five trainers work for me. They dog walk part-time and train for me as well. Wow, that's that's incredible. It's, it, it is very, very good for your business. I have to, There is no one who has not found their business um, increase quite quite dramatically. So how did you first get involved for this? Um, I was very lucky. I met Victoria at... A, a seminar at somewhere like the Dogs Trust in Shropshire about four years ago and she invited me to join as a trainer um, and then three years ago um, I was very um, flattered to be asked to take over as the European coordinator. Well. Wow. So what's your background, Joe, with in terms of dog training? Um, I started my life at um, Hearing Dogs for Deaf People as a puppy socialising trainer many years ago. And I saw on your Facebook page that you're involved with Rally, aren't you? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Rally and agility, isn't it? Um, yes, I don't compete at agility anymore because my little dog, um, Indy, he has hip dysplasia now and a bit of arthritis. Um, so we now compete at Kennel Club Rally Obedience, and we train it, and I judge it. Oh, amazing. Rally's one that's not... I think it's a bit of an underdog. Like, people don't know about it as much as as agility um, and obedience, etc. Tell us a little bit about Rally. Um, it's something that came to the UK not that long ago, actually. Um, but it is an obedience sport that I would say is a bit more for the masses, for the pet owners. I think the um, things like the obedience that you see in IPO, for example, is really strict um, and very, very precise. And I think that can be quite daunting and intimidating for a pet owner, whereas rally obedience is a bit more relaxed. So, for example, you still have to work your dog on your left like you would do in traditional obedience but you're allowed to give verbal commands to your dog. You're allowed to give visual cues to your dog. Um, in between stations, you're allowed to touch your dog. So it's a lot more relaxed. It's a lot more fun. It's a lot more accessible, I would say. But for, in comparison to something like agility, I don't think it's an, as exciting a spectator sport. So like agility and flyball are, are super adrenaline-filled and exciting and you know, really, really fast and everyone's screaming and shouting, whereas Kennel Club Rally is, you know, if you don't do it, I don't think it's exciting to watch. And I think that's probably why it's a bit of an underdog. Is it something that's still competitive then? Yes. Yes. Do you, do you, does it work with a grade system like agility? Or? It does. There are six levels um, of, of rally. Um, and you they start reasonably simple um, I think at level one there are something like 33, 34 stations to learn and it's the com competition level one and two are done on lead 
level three and four are off lead and there's a whole new set of signs to learn for that one and then level five and six are off lead again but again it's more challenging um, so things like the um, the courses we did at the weekend Indian and I we competed on Saturday and Sunday and he's off lead and there are things like four food bowls on the floor that have food in and you have to do a figure of eight through the food bowls which is quite challenging if your dog is off lead Sure. It's quite a competitive place. There's lots of other dogs all looking at the food bowls. Um, and there are jumps, and there are different styles of jumps, send away to jumps, recall over jumps, um, various changes of pace and turns and pivots and all kinds. So I like it, but you can train it. It's more relaxed, but you can be picky if you want to, which I am. I quite like accuracy and precision. And you can do that, but you don't have to. So for someone who is not as concerned about their dog being glued to their left leg, you can still compete at rally and do well. You mentioned IPO, and um, I've been campaigning endlessly to try and get Corrine to come on the podcast. Well, that's the reason. Um, here I... this afternoon for a cup of tea, and I said, I'm speaking to Nick later. And she said, oh, please tell him I'm not ignoring him. <laughs> she was unwell last week so she actually asked me to pass on a message to say she's not ignoring you and she will get in touch to speak to you oh that's nice because I see that you two train we together do, we train together we try and get together once a week and, and spend a day so what do you two train together because Corrine does IPO sure. doesn't she so, but do you also do IPO um, I train elements of it for fun. I think when Corinne and I get together, um, it is to have fun with our dogs. I don't know if you find this, but as a dog trainer, to have the time to find a class or an activity to go to and another trainer in your area that is happy to let you go into their class and not be worried about it, it's really hard to find that. So Corinne and I get together just to have fun for a day and we might have a day where we do jump grids, and send aways and send arounds and then we'll have another day where she shows me how to do hides for IPO and how to do a dumbbell pickup and then we might do some fit pause stuff and some targeting and some proprioception work and then we might do some tracking so just you know whatever we fancy we sometimes she'll laugh if she listens to this we sometimes I sometimes write a list of what we should do and we never stick to it and we never have enough time. We spend from 10 till 4 some days, and we still run out of time. So, Are you someone that plans your training quite a lot? Uh, yeah. You, you said you had a, your oh, little list. Yes, I do. I, was, I had another conversation with another trainer yesterday, and she said to me, do you write a plan? Said, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I, and both of my dogs know a lot of tricks and behaviours, so if I didn't write it all down, I'd forget. You'd forget how many behaviours they had, or which, what the cues yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> well, they, they, and they're colleagues, so they watch you so carefully. So you know, this hand means this to one dog, and this hand in this shape means that to another dog. And if I bend in the middle a little bit, or I tilt my head, they they throw stuff at me. So I need to, yeah, I have a little black book with with my notes in, so that I don't forget what I've done. One thing that I find amazing is, I mean, you said you've forgotten about cues, and I've forgotten about cues in the past, but the amazing thing is the dog very rarely forgets about cues, especially when you train in this positive way. I mean, I've, I've not trained things for years, and then I've suddenly thought, oh, I remember teaching him that, you know, two years ago, and then, and then doing it, and the dog does it you yeah, know, straight away. Yeah, absolutely. 
absolutely the same thing. And I find that with um, dogs that have been to classes before, for example, with my agility class, we had a dog that um, I think the shift work changed for the client and she couldn't come and she couldn't come for about a year and then came back when her shifts changed back again. And it was like the dog had never been away. She'd not done agility for a year and she ran a 20-piece course without even breaking a sweat. It was easy, no problem at all. She didn't make a mistake with anything. Do you find that sometimes giving them a break actually yes. helps? and we do that in our classes. We do five-week terms, have a week off, five-week term and have a week off. I have to, I remember, well, I, I've trained my Labrador in um, scent mm. work, and it was for my university degree, and I did it, and I did the exam, and then I left, I didn't do scent work for a few months, um, and I remember coming back and him being so much better, and it was really strange. Yeah, I think, I think a break does do them good. I think sometimes you can overdo it. Yeah, well, do you mean give them too no, long? No, I or? think to give them, you know, training every single day, I think perhaps we underestimate how tiring it is mentally for the dog um you know the same as us we all have off days and if you were studying every single day you would get a little bit kind of befuddled by the end of it i guess so i think i tend to with my two um like today's been a training day the weather up here in manchester was just horrendous today so we've had a training day and throughout the day with each dog I've done a 10 minute training session four times with each dog through the day so tomorrow we'll just go to the field and we'll run around and we'll sniff and we'll play ball and just chill out and then the next day we'll do a pavement walk and do loose lead walking and so on but we I try and vary it because I think you can do too much of the same thing yeah I know that a lot I think a lot of dog owners have this thing where they think that you have to walk the dog twice every single day and they go in the wind the rain everything how do you feel about that (laughs) i'll let you go i used to when i got my first collie i was like oh it's a collie it has to go for 10 miles every day no matter what and then i realized that actually no if you know sometimes you can have a day at home and we just do nothing and two border collies in my house and you can see it's almost a relief. They're like, oh, my God, she's letting us have a rest today. No clicker, no walking boots. Brilliant. And you can see them kind of curl up and hunker down and snuggle up for the day. So I think, but, I, you know, then I think you get the pet owners who don't exercise their dogs at all. You know? Yeah, sure. It can be taken yeah, to an extreme. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I don't, I don't walk my dogs every day. Yeah, I think it can be take. I think it has to be kind of dog by dog as well. I mean, my little one would hate going out in the rain. I mean, he, there's no point in dragging him around in the rain when he's not going to enjoy no, it at all. No, absolutely not. Whereas, I mean, I'm sure there's dogs out there that would wouldn't care less and would love to run around yeah, in the rain. Yeah, uh, well, both of mine are quite happy in the rain. It's just me that doesn't like it. <laughs> sure. Sure. So, um, how often do you recommend that people do dog training then? Or train their dogs? I would do something... I'd have a rest day every third day, I would say. Um, And even if you do something very basic on the other two days, um, I think it's good to do something to stimulate their mind as well as exercising them. Being an owner of, of a working breed... 
you can walk your dog's legs off and what you end up with is a really fit dog with loads of stamina um, and it can still be climbing the walls at home so I think for me I would recommend a short training session day one and day two and then have a rest day from training on day three and then I love I love talking to people that are really into oh. dog training and they've got they can give you numbers <laughs> like <laughs> every third day take a re- you know it's like really planned to the minute oh, detail I'm honest to god <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible micromanagement I am awful control freak that's me yeah but I mean I'm sure it helps you because um, you mean you've already mentioned that you do training plans and I think everyone or everyone that's a dog trainer intends to do training plans or thinks that's a good idea but doesn't tend to get around to it especially if you're not doing behavior work yes yeah and I think that's a really good point to make as well is when you're working with a client who is doing behavior work and it's quite serious behavior that you're dealing with, I think having a training plan and as a trainer working through a really structured timetable with that client is a really valuable skill to have because you know yourself, like you said, how many trainers sit and make plans for their own training. To expect a pet owner to do that, I think is a huge expectation and maybe a bit unrealistic. So if you're working with a client who has you know, quite a problem behavior, then putting together a really structured plan, even with day one, day two, day three, I think is probably a good idea because then they've got support. You know, when you get up in the morning, you know, do you ever think, oh, what should I do with my dog today? Where shall I walk today? What shall I do? And the day can be gone before you've made a decision. So I think mm-hmm. with problem behavior modification, I think a plan is a really good idea because you can get a little bit lost sometimes. You need to be flexible. But I think you can get a little bit lost. I think it's quite important to have a good plan. I mean, I've been tempted to, in the past, plan everything. I think, I mean, this is taking it to the extreme, but, um, you know, really write out my week and do, I'm going to do this training on Monday morning, then I'm going to do a walk in the evening, and, you know, really just plan it to the minute detail. I think... I mean, and I, I was talking to someone um, that's really into agility, and she was telling me how, again, this is taking it to the extreme. Um, there was a dog trainer that was saying that they had the dog's kibble all sorted out, and then they would feed the dog throughout the day all through training. Um, so they had to get in enough training to be able to give the dog a dinner or the, the, to feed the dog. Again, this is taking it to the complete extreme. Um, <laughs> but it's that kind of thing where, you know... You probably do get really good results, but it's it's prob- it's not really very pet owner friendly. No, I, yeah, no, not pet owner friendly. I mean, I do <clears throat> the c- confessions of a dog trainer. I do plan my weeks like that some weeks. Um, I don't know if that's because I'm quite busy that I think if I don't do a plan, I just won't do anything else. Um, but yeah, I do. I am a little bit guilty of that. Like I'm already thinking, planning ahead, like tomorrow I'm going to go do a big off lead walk and play in the field. Friday, mm, I think we'll do a lead walk. Saturday, puppy classes, so I'll do training in the afternoon. So, yeah, I'm a little bit, oh, oh, wow. I'm a little bit anal with that, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, that's far more taken to the, ex- you know, that's far more planning than I, I tend yeah. to do. But, you know, more for you, brilliant. <laughs> I'm um, not sure that's a healthy thing, but they... 
Well, I wish I was... I think I'm probably the opposite. I wish I planned more. Um, and the best... I mean, the, getting back to the point I was trying to make a minute ago, the best trainers that I come across, you talk to them and they've got everything oh, planned. Really? Like, they know everything. You know, they know what they're doing yeah. um, all the way through a process. And you can say that... I mean, say that you're talking to a gun dog trainer, this, a really experienced gun dog trainer, and you say, you know... You ask them any minute detail about training the retrieve, and they know exactly how to deal with it, exactly what they're going to do to avoid this problem or to create this or whatever. And it's always super impressive. But, you know, I think that comes with having made mistakes previously. I know the things I did when I trained my first dog on particular behaviors that I I remember at the time thinking, okay, I'm not going to do it that way around with my next dog. And and I've done the same again with the second one. I thought, all right, okay, that was better, but next time I'll do this instead of that. So I think that, that comes with experience as well. I bet those dog trainers who plan so well now have made lots and lots of mistakes like I did with the, the first dog and gone, ah, yeah, maybe I shouldn't. For example, um, with a trick dog, I taught my dog, my dog to lie down. Obviously, we all do that, don't we? Teach it to sit, teach it to lie down. And then I wanted to teach him to bow, so kind of bend like a play bow. I wanted him to do that on cue. Yeah. How do you go back from a down to a play bow? It's really difficult. I've done this before. Um, so with the next dog, I was like, okay, I'm going to teach a bow first. Get on yeah. cue, and then I'll put the down on afterwards when I want it. So little things like that. So, you know, those gun dog trainers who minutely picked apart there they send away pick up hold it in your mouth bring it back sit down present will have yeah. done it a lot wrong lots of times first just like i did with indy so with twist i'm like okay i've got this this time i'm going to do it this way and it will work and inevitably it doesn't because he's a different dog but you know i mean the reason a lot of dog trainers become dog trainers is because things have gone wrong with their dogs and they've tried to fix it i mean i was having a conversation with someone the other day again about um i mean when you're trying to when you're trying to deal with dog-to-dog aggression really you need to have dogs that you can use as um oh i forget the word i'm looking for like stooges um and you need to have dogs available um as dog trainers and dog behaviourists, you tend to have dogs, or a lot of dog trainers and dog behaviourists tend to have dogs that aren't suitable at all for that type of work, you know. I, I mean, my Labrador is not social at all, but that's the reason I got into dog training. Yes. Um, so I think there's a lot of people like that, and it's a real shame if, you, if, you're, if you've got a dog-aggressive dog, because it makes it hard to find a behaviourist that can... is not that, that, that has the knowledge to deal with your dog, but has the facilities. Yes, I think that's really true because at some point in that process of training that dog, you need a real live dog to work with. Um, I use stuffies and, and all of those things, but to have a real live dog that you can safely work with is very difficult. This is one of the benefits, I think, of running classes and doing behavior work because my dogs now that come to my advanced class that are working towards their gold good citizen award are bomb proof so those are the dogs that i use because also as a trainer if i want to use my own dog like my indy i can use but if i'm standing with indy i can't stand with my client and support them and say did you see that head turn did you see that flick of the nose can you see that your dog is tensing up 
So ideally, you actually need a body to stand with a stooge dog and you as a trainer then be available for your client. So for me, it's my gold and silver dogs that I use. I have some great clients and I'll say to them, you know, can you come to my, my secure field? Can you stand on the other side of the fence? And can you walk up and down? And can we follow behind you? And it's having, it's not just having a stooge dog, but it's having someone on the end of the lead of the stooge dog who is intuitive and empathic and sensitive to the needs of the trainer and the client and their dog. And it's an unusual combination to get that. Yeah, it's really difficult. Um, and like I said, that's why, I mean, it's so hard to find someone to help you uh, with that kind of issue. I mean, I know, I know a lot of dog trainers in this area um, who have the knowledge to do it but just don't have the facilities or I know people that have dogs that are good for most for doing dog to dog work with normally but don't like German Shepherds or something like that and then it becomes you know and then you can't help anyone that has a German it's just really it's very difficult thing to get around it is it is very difficult and you know alongside that being able to set the client's expectations realistically um is another skill that is undervalued perhaps people don't realize how long it can take and and how difficult and emotional it is for for the handler um it's it's not an easy problem to work with does the vspdt also allow people to go into behavior the behaviorist side of things or does the academy um teach the behavioral side of things um, as well the academy teaches a foundation for behavior work but what we're going to be doing is um, we're actually working with the faculty now we've got an amazing um, group of people that are working with us some great um, some real groundbreaking people who work with us and we're actually putting together separate content to deal with the more serious behavioral issues like for example resource guarding um, aggression dogs with a bite history and separation anxiety so the academy is not giving you, you couldn't do our academy, which is quite intensive, there's a huge amount of work involved, but you couldn't do that and then go out and work with a dog with a bite history, I would say, you will need more. That's really interesting, yeah, because I think that's the problem. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's not just restricted to the VSPDT, that's a problem with so many um, courses and such. It's really hard to just go... To one, well, I don't even think it's possible to just go to one place and then be set up for no. behaviour. You know, it's like there's, there's so many sources of information you need to find before you can kind of become, you know, um, a good behaviourist. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, the, one of the things that we're doing, I don't know the details of all the other courses out there, the thing that our academy does, which I think is different, I mean, maybe you'll know, you know, you've spoken to a lot more people than I have, so you might know more than I, but with our academy, we have online learning, um, we have intensives where people are going to come to us and stay for five and then eight days, but we also have a mentor scheme, so each student will have a dedicated mentor and throughout the six months, they have a number of hours that they have to do with that mentor, shadowing them on classes and on behavior. And then following the second intensive, they then have to go and teach 
with the mentor. So take the mentor's classes and do one-to-ones with the mentor. They're getting oh, wow. hands-on shadowing as well as online learning, hands-on practical for a week and, and eight days. They also have to do a number of hours. I think on the second part, which is, um, it, it goes a five-day intensive, 60 days online, eight-day intensive, followed by 90 days online. In that 90 days online, they've got to do 50 hours with their mentor on teaching classes and doing behavior, um, behavior training, I would say, not behavior modification. That's, yeah, that, that sounds really good. Um, so are their mentors quite widely available over the UK or is it still quite restricted? I am looking for some. So if anyone is looking <laughs> to be a mentor for us, you do not need to be a VSPDT. Um, we're looking for force-free trainers who are running classes and who do um, one-to-one training um, to to come and apply to be mentors with us. So how does someone go about that then? Do they have to, I mean, what kind of qualifications and what level do they have um, to be We'll at? look at each person um, on an individual basis, but we're looking for people who have, I think it's more that they've been training um, and, I don't know, I'm... I'm trying to think of, the, of a qualification that I could say to you. We don't have to have someone who has a degree. Um, we're looking for people who who we can who we can get to know and interview. Um, the application is quite thorough, um, but we're looking for people who have a proven track record. I guess is what we're looking for. Um, what are the advantages of being a mentor? Um, money. <laughs> oh, you get paid. Too. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, you, one of the ways that we're, try, we're hoping that people will be interested is that it's, it's kind of a new skill for the mentor in that they're going to be teaching. Um, they're going to be teaching supported by us. Um, the syllabus is supplied. It's already written and supplied by us. So they're going to be supporting a student through um, an academy that has already been designed. Um, they will benefit, hopefully, by learning a new skill of, of teaching um, and also be paid for their time. Um, and, you know, you might get a member of staff out of it. That's how I got um, one of my oh, girls wow. was I went into, I was teaching in the college that she was at. Um, she came and did shadowing and work experience with me to support her college work. And at the end of it, she left college. And I was like, wow, you know, she's great. And I need more bodies. So I offered her a job, she took it. So, you know, maybe maybe it's a way to grow yeah. their own business as well. No, that makes total sense. And that's a good point, actually, because I think a lot of people would view it as training up a potential rival. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the flip side is they could potentially be on your yeah. staff. Yeah. And the thing is, the whole rival thing, there are a whole lot of dogs in the UK Um and there are dog training businesses springing up all over the place. So I think there are more than enough dogs to go around. Um, the only time I get upset about a competitor is if that competitor is local to me and I know that what they're doing is not force-free, that it's not scientifically proven, that it's not ethical, and that the people and the dogs are paying for something and, and, and that's not right. But you know, if I, I share business locally, there are lots of trainers here. We have a network up here. 
um, of trainers, dog groomers, dog walkers, doggy daycare, vets, vet nurses, canine massage therapists. We all live within a 50 mile radius of each other and we share business with each other. So if my classes are full, I will refer, refer to another trainer locally who she's what, 20 minutes away. So she's, you could say she's on my patch, but I know she does a good job. And that puppy, by the time I get to it, it's going to be too old for a puppy class. So I might as well share it with her. So. Okay. Okay, cool. Because um, you mentioned people that don't train force-free. And obviously, recently, there was the whole fiasco with... I mean, for people... I'm sure that some people aren't even aware of this. But there was a big fiasco with... Um, Victoria Stillwell being bitten and and then people just kind of coming out of the woodworks and saying mean things and you know so I, I think it would I think it'd be good if you kind of gave I know that you're not you weren't there but if you could kind of give your perspective on things um yes um yeah it was about three weeks ago now Victoria was bitten um she was bitten quite badly um she suffered six puncture wounds to her right thigh um what happened is that she'd been, you know, she works um, with the police in Atlanta um, and she does a huge amount of work with those guys and she's learning a lot from them and they are learning a lot from her. Um, the course she was invited on was not with her guys, the Guardians of the Night series that's on the internet that Victoria's doing. It was not with her guys that she films with and goes out with regularly. But there was a training course being offered and she was invited to go and sit in on the training course, which she did, because you would, wouldn't you? Um, during the training course, one of the exercises that the dogs were doing was learning to be loaded in and out of a helicopter. Um, and so the first thing to say is that, number one, Victoria was not training a dog. She was there as an observer of the course to learn. And she was not handling a dog. Um, when the helicopter was brought in, um, the people running the course offered Victoria, would she like to go into the helicopter? She hasn't been inside a helicopter before, so she said, yeah, that would be great, really exciting. So she got into the helicopter. Um, one of the rooms that's going round was that she was filming and had a camera inside the helicopter and moved to get a better angle. That's not true. Um, Victoria was not filming and did not have a camera. Um, so she got into the helicopter and the dog that was being trained was outside the helicopter waiting to get in. And at that point, Victoria has, has said to me that she looked at the dog and could see it was getting quite revved up to work, which dogs do. I mean, you know, at, look at a flyball dog on the start line of a flyball competition. That dog is crazy ready to go and really, really highly aroused. This is what happened to the dog getting in the helicopter. He's there to work. He was highly, highly aroused. They loaded him into the helicopter. He immediately um, went for Victoria and got hold of her by her leg. And they managed to get him off. He went back in and bit her again. Yes. Oh, my God. Um, and they then managed again to get him off. Um, and that's what happened. It was a terrible accident, a case of just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Whoever had been sat in that chair probably would have been bitten by that dog. The dog was highly aroused and was working, and it's one of those things. Um, she is recovering. Um, she's had to have a lot of treatment. I think she's probably going to have scars for life. She's still struggling to walk. 
Um, but she is recovering um, physically and mentally because it's quite, you know, if you've ever been bitten, I have been bitten. And if you've ever been bitten, it's extremely frightening and stressful for a significant amount of time afterwards. Do we know anything about the way that that dog that was trained? Uh, no. Just because a lot of people out there have said, hey, this is why positive reinforcement doesn't work. Look, Victoria Stillwell tried it and got bitten kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, no. Um, the dog was not a dog that Victoria has ever worked with before. Um, and how that dog was trained, we don't know. I don't know. The dog was brought to this course to be trained to load into the helicopter. Whether it had been trained using hot dogs and chicken or electricity and pinch, I, I don't know. Sure, so that really completely invalidates anyone saying that this is a result of force free training. No, that completely invalidates it. It, it, I don't know how that dog was trained. It could have been either way. Yeah, and um, Victoria, like I said, wasn't training the dog. She was just sat down. It could have have been anyone. Um, It's nothing to do with any method. She did say that she looked at the dog and thought, huh, you know, I don't know if you've ever been bitten, Nick. When I was bitten... Um, I saw the dog coming, I knew it was coming, and I thought, huh, <laughs> that dog's going to bite me now, and it did. And there was nowhere I could go, there was nothing I could do. I tried head, turning my head and all of the, no, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give out calming signals. No, the dog still bit me. Um, and Victoria said she was sat in the, in the helicopter, she looked at the dog about to be loaded into the helicopter and thought, do you know what, that, that dog is really highly aroused, this doesn't feel good but with the noise of a helicopter and she thought well you know they know what they're doing they've done this before it's just an accident a lot of people were initially annoyed by victoria's first post um where she seemed to be blaming the handler i don't know kind of what the stance is on that um but at the same time, you've just told me that she got bitten, they got him off, and then she got bitten again. So, I mean, I can imagine why she would be annoyed, to be yeah, honest. You would, well, you would be annoyed if you'd been bitten, but there are contributing factors. You know, she was on medication at the time, um, probably in a huge amount of shock. Um, it was her daughter's birthday the next day, which obviously was, you know, ruined. Um, so... Yeah, and she did go on afterwards, um, I don't know if you read the blog that she wrote subsequently, but she did go on afterwards and say, you know what, you know, I shouldn't have posted what I posted before. Yeah, I read the blog. I think she answered, I was really impressed actually by the way that she answered it. Um, I, the only, I I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to give them the credit of mentioning the blog name because I don't think it's... I don't think that's what we should be doing. But there was just one particular blog that I read, which was just horrible. And just, I, I mean, I can only imagine it's filled with lies. And I'm not, I don't, I've never spoken to Victoria. I mean, you clearly, she, she, she seems like a yeah. friend to you. There was, the blog that I saw written was going as far as claiming that this whole positive thing that Victoria, the Victoria's message was all just a facade for TV and that just struck me as that cannot be true. No, it, it's not. Um, no, it couldn't be further from the truth. What I would say is that this event three weeks ago, because Vicky got bitten, um, it made 
a lot more kind of headline news than it normally would. But what I can also tell you is that these kind of comments are made about Vicky and to Vicky a lot. And I have a huge amount of respect for her because to be able to continue doing what you do and and put yourself out there on TV, at Crufts, doing interviews, on the radio, doing all the things that she does. And she does a huge amount for charity as well, for rescue dogs, for puppy mills. To have the dedication to keep doing that in the face of such adversity, you cannot do that just for TV. You can't. I can't. The, the number of people that criticise her and she takes it on the chin and she keeps going because she believes in what she does she's an amazing lady and I have a huge amount of respect for her and these people who make the comments um, you know I think that's just a reflection on, on them Sure I, I mean I, I read I did read a lot on the kind of topic and there was also I mean from our side of things the kind of positive camp there was also people saying would this have happened if that dog was trained force free I mean I, we don't know how the dog was trained but how do you kind of do you think a dog is more more or less likely to bite dependent on the way that it's trained well yeah of course um, I mean it depends on the dog and you know I may be not the right person to speak to about this and I've I have a lot of friends who like like Corinne who do things like um, IPO and they train dogs to bite I have friends who work for the prison, prison service and for the police service who train dogs to bite in a controlled fashion. Um, and what I would say is things like the display we saw um, and the people we work with at West Midlands Police, their dogs are immensely well controlled and they use force-free training methods. And we do know that if we train using pain and fear, then we are likely to get an aggressive response in return. So, for me, that says that if you're going to use aggression in your training, you do run a risk of a dog responding in an aggressive manner at some point. And maybe, you know, nine times out of ten, maybe that particular dog can deal with that particular training method. But there is going to come a day where, you know, trigger stacking has happened, the dog's had a bad day, and, it, you know, an aggressive training method a forceful training method provokes an aggressive response. We know that, the science proves it. So I will put my head out there and say that, yeah, I think if you train using pain and fear, you are likely to get a dog that loses control and becomes aggressive. I mean, this style, the, teaching dogs to bite, which is essentially what it is, is, I mean, it's something that for so long has been ruled by the kind of force camp, <clears throat> the camp that uses force, how, I mean, and those people that have been doing it for a long time will say, you can't train a dog to do this unless you're using some amount of force, which is what I've really loved about Corinne's whole thing about getting IPO free, proving that you yeah. can do it. But, and, and I mean, I don't know the West Midlands police. You said that they've actually achieved it to a working standard yes. then without using yes. force. You know, I can I can give you some names of the guys to speak to at Mesquite Police. You know, give them a call, have a chat with them. Well, you sh you should definitely Facebook me those names so I can try and get them I on will. the podcast. 
That would be amazing. <laughs> no, I'm definitely. I would love to do more podcasts with people that are training in that, training those kind of things. I've, I've because we're we're so backwards um, I, on it. Something that I started looking at about a year ago was was I looked at IPO not because I want to do it, um, because I was interested to see how. And I've had some wonderful conversations um, with one particular guy who used to work the prison service with dogs on, on how to get dogs who have a stable temperament to bite a person. And he's really interesting to speak to um, about teaching these dogs to bite equipment, first of all, but then the, the transfer of a bite from a sleeve or, you know, a bite roll actually onto human skin. Um, is difficult to do with a dog with a sound temperament. And I've had some great conversations with him about how you do that. Um, so I'll, I'll give you his name. But it's absolutely oh, possible. Yes. yes. I mean, I've had um, Corinne's dogs bite on a, a sleeve that I was holding. Um, and it's a game for them. It, it, uh, but mm-hmm. they bite hard. Um, I can assure you. <laughs> Yeah, I've also, I mean, I've done it as well, where I've, I've been bitten yeah. on the sleeve. Not the sleeve, for people that don't know what a sleeve yeah. is. But uh, the big kind of typical protection equipment that you have in your arm, that we call a bite sleeve. Um, and yeah, it, it's really, it, it's, it's a really cool experience. But I think there's a lot of people that, I mean, they're always adding in, a, they're always adding in a but, aren't they? They're always saying, you can't do it to this standard you can't do it to this standard and thankfully there are people out there like that that are, that are yes, proving them exactly. wrong exactly i think you know just look at the tv show that the victoria's just done i sat and watched the final episode yesterday and i won't give any spoilers in case anyone um hasn't finished watching it but how inspirational if you can teach a dog to do things like flying airplanes and driving cars using force-free methods you can teach your dogs to do anything, surely. Yeah, I must admit, I still haven't had a chance to watch it, watch but it, it does look watch amazing. Watch it. Honest to God, it is incredible. Was it on yeah, Sky One? It was. Sorry. It was just... I was sat watching the final episode yesterday with my mouth open, like, and my hands in front of my face, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, <laughs> it was amazing. And it was truly incredible training um hats off to those guys who worked on the show because it was just amazing the, i think there is so much more that dogs can do that we just haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg yet and it was done using force free kind training methods so don't tell me that you cannot train a dog to do anything positively because i just won't believe you so for those that don't know and i'm kind of including myself on this is it? Am I right in saying they got a rescue dog and then they worked towards training it to fly That's a plane? Absolutely correct. They took on 12 rescue dogs. Um, okay. And they, over the course of, of many, many weeks, they trained the dogs in all kinds of different um, cognitive skills, problem solving, reading body language, taking direction, confidence exercises, and all kinds of really cool stuff. I'm trying to think how I can build a pretend cockpit of an airplane for my dogs to sit in and teach them how to do this oh my god or a go-kart something we're gonna have a whole host now of flying dogs um but they yeah they trained the dogs um and they they whittled away because you know like some dogs weren't quite confident enough to deal with the noise or didn't deal well with the motion 
of, of an aeroplane or, you know, they didn't like wearing a harness or things like that, or they didn't have great concentration, they were a bit of an airhead maybe, and were like, oh, you know, pretty butterflies over there, and off they went. Um, but they narrowed it down from 12 to 3, um, and in the end, yes, dogs can be trained to fly aeroplanes, and it was incredible. It's a little bit dog apprentice. Yes. It does sound very, how you what windled it down from 12 to 1. Sure, we should do that. <laughs> <laughs> so... We'll wrap it up, Joe. Where can people get? Where can people follow your stuff? And also, where can people get involved with the VSBDT? Get in, involved with the academy. Where are people? Where do Brilliant. people go? That's a great question. And there's all kinds of new websites that I'm learning the names of. And you've caught me on the hop, and I, off the top of my head, I can't remember. Hold on one second. So for the academy, um, we are looking at. Let's have a look. Can we get that for you? Okay, so I mean your Facebook page is Standish Dog Trainer, um, isn't it? Yeah, is that right? Yeah, you can find me just as Joe Pay on Facebook or you can find me um as Standish Dog Trainer on Facebook. And then assume is your website also Standish it Dog is. Trainer? It's, um yep, standishdogtrainer.co.uk. Um, and I'll give you a second to find those. Don't worry. You don't have okay, to. so the academy um, is um, www.vsdogtrainingacademy.com, and then um, people who would like to be interested in joining um, as a VSPDT, as an approved trainer, that one is um, www.positively. Um, and we also have um, www.vspdt.com. So that's Amazing. all of the, all of Victoria's still that stuff. Whether you want to be a mentor, whether you want to be a student, whether you'd like to be approved as one of our trainers, um, you know. And if in doubt, just give me a shout. Yeah, I mean you're you're available on Facebook. I mean, do you mind people contacting no, you? No, no, go for it. Absolutely, yeah, by Facebook or by my via email, by my website. Give me give me a bell. I don't mind. Okay, brilliant. And do you have any workshops or seminars coming up yourself? Um, we have got. Oh my gosh, yeah, we do. Um, we do things like um, we're running Pam McKinnon's scent workshops. Oh so wow! Scent walk. That's another person. Oh yeah, yeah. Great. So we um we run. Scent work classes up here. It's one of the things that we do, and we have scent one on the 23rd of April, and then we've got scent two coming um, in June. Um, and then, of course, there's the National Dog Bite and um, Prevention and Behaviour Conference, which is at Lincoln University, um, and that's also in June. Is that run by Victoria? Yeah. yeah. That would be really interesting, actually. And I, I don't mean this in a kind of horrible way, but now she's, I mean. In some ways, you have something to talk about more so now that she's been bitten. She's been through the whole yeah. process. It, it'd be talking more from a kind of personal yeah, experience. Yeah, we were talking about on the phone the other day, actually, that uh, we're having a bit of a laugh at the irony of it all. Yeah, it sounds a little <laughs> bit sadistic, doesn't it? <laughs> as soon as I started that, I thought, this sounds it's really no, horrible. Laugh at the but yeah, the, um, the Dog Bite Prevention and Behaviour Conference is the 11th and 12th of June of this year. It's the third year in a row. Um, that we're hosting it. It's at Lincoln Uni, 
And we've got some amazing speakers. We've got Dr. Daniel Mills speaking. We have Adam McClosey speaking. We have Shirag Patel, Kamal Fernandez. We've got Sarah Fisher. Um, and me, I'll be speaking as well. And Victoria, of course. All right, brilliant. Thanks for talking to me, Joe. It's been really good to chat to you.